Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Strickland Podcast Network's Mail.Bag. Got Jeremy Cohen here. With me as always is Schwinn, Schwinny Poo. Schwinn, how are you? I'm uh, doing well. Enjoying this random bit of snow that we're getting today. Is it still snowing by you? It is. Ah. It's still snowing. It's uh, yeah, just, I think, sleet or something. Rain. Oh. Beautiful. Exactly what you want to see. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I actually, uh, I moved recently, and I now have windows that don't, I have multiple windows, and not just one that faces into another person's apartment from five feet away. So it's been really nice to actually watch the snowfall. I've really enjoyed it. Um, good for you. Yeah. Very happy for your enjoyment of snow. Yeah, hey, it's great. I love snow. It's white. Love white thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to go with it. Um, we got a very action-packed day ahead of us here. And, you know, it's been, I guess, since we were last chatting, you and me, We it was what? Before the trade deadline? Seems? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that was the last one. It was, so it was, I'd say a lot has happened, yeah, it was but before. Yeah, it was before. also nothing has really happened. Yeah, so we can, uh, we can get into that. I know we've got some great questions ahead of us. So uh, anything you want to start with before we get going before we get into all of that i do need to announce that the strickland has a patreon you can subscribe to it for multiple tiers there's a six dollar tier that gets you access to pod strickland every friday that i do with prez it also gets you access to the strickland mailbag that i do every other week with jeremy and drew that will be dropping on thursday this week in addition to that you also get access to the strickland discord where the conversation about the knicks never quite stops there's further tiers there's a nine dollar tier that gets you access to my solo pod, Strick and Roll, uh, where I often mostly yell about the Knicks even more, uh, but sometimes I do podcasts that have nothing to do with the Knicks, like this week, where I did a podcast about football, which was great. It was wonderful to not talk about the Knicks. Uh, you also, more importantly, get access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best writers out there in all of writing. Uh, I'm serious about that. In addition to that, there's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. You get access to merchandise discounts, listening in on pod recordings, even potentially hosting a pod yourself with us, with me, yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, let's talk about the New York Knicks. They're, they're still making this Reggie Bullock thing, like a, like a big 
you know, it's just who cares, man? Like Reggie Bullock was not saving this team. Like, like this entire thing is so dumb because you know, Elf was not saving this team. And who cares? Like, do I care? Reggie Bullock, thirty-two year Reggie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'd feel the same exact way. Um, you know, I don't care if Tibbs misses him. I think him missing him is exactly why they let him go. Um, and I'm happy they chose to do that. I would agree with that. And yeah, you know, it's just, I I feel like it's something to talk about, but people seem to have a complete blind spot for the playoffs when the Knicks needed some sort of playmaking uh, off the dribble creation. And they got nothing from that in terms of their backcourt. So, you know, you live and learn, but yeah, I'm eager for this to be the last game against the Mavericks because then we don't have to talk about any of these players again, because it's going to be an old story. Yeah. Yep. So with that, our first question is from Jax365. Does David Griffin have compromise on the NBA media and the league office? Like he's a terrible GM who has the craziest luck in the NBA history? Or is it whatever? Um, I know you can't stand David Griffin. And I really can't stand David Griffin. So this is even more showing how much you dislike him. So I'm going to let you start off with this. Um, yes. I don't, I don't even know how to answer this question. Um, like I will say this. I don't think he's necessarily terrible all the way around, but he's clearly benefited a lot from things that have nothing to do with his ability as a GM. Um, LeBron coming back to Cleveland had absolutely nothing to do with him. Um, like, I don't know how much they traded for Kevin Love because LeBron wanted him to trade for Kevin Love. I would say that he did very little. I don't know if you could say he did a bad job because, look, I mean, obviously we know dealing with LeBron is not easy, but we also know this. When LeBron is there, guess what? He runs everything, basically. He's basically calling all the shots. The only place he didn't was Miami, and that's why the fuck he left Miami. So... I don't know what to really say about that. I mean, New Orleans, he got Zion. Congratulations. He got a deal from the Lakers for Anthony Davis that was pretty good. But that was a deal that was not really that difficult to negotiate. I mean, that was a deal that I think Dell Demps, the guy he replaced, he had essentially negotiated the parameters of that deal at the trade deadline. They just didn't pull the trigger on it. Um, So it's not like he did something that nobody else was capable of. He took Zion, which... I personally wouldn't criticize them for taking Zion, but there were people that were worried about Zion's health and all that stuff and said John Morant might be a better pick, and they were a definite minority, um, but they existed, so there's that. Uh, He also got the fourth pick in the Anthony Davis trade, which he amazingly then... I mean, this is the thing that really is incredible to me. He traded the fourth pick in that draft for the eighth the 17th, and the 35th pick. And I think they used all of them. They used the 8th pick on Jackson Hayes, which made very little sense, considering you had just drafted Zion. Um, They drafted Nikhil Alexander-Walker at 17, who is now gone from the team. Um, He was used, I think, as part of the C.J. McCollum for the C.J. McCollum trade. Um, But, like, guess who was on the board at 4? Darius Garland. And they needed a guard. They ended up needing a young guard, which they took a year later in Kyra Lewis, who has not been good and obviously is injured right now, but like 
you know, why did they need a guard? Uh, because he traded Drew Holiday after a year and immediately was like, oh my God, I need a scoring guard on this team. It's like, well, you just traded one. So that's interesting, weird. Um, I, I just feel like he's lucked into a lot. I mean, he, he got a nice haul for, for Drew, but then he turned that into what Adams on that extension and he traded out a first to get that. So that reduced his pick haul. Then he trades Adams a year later. And I, look, it's good to admit your mistakes, but like you still pay the price and he did pay a price. They moved down seven spots in the draft and they potentially gave up a future first, I think in that trade too, right? Uh, one that could convey to them one that possibly might convey to the to the Grizzlies this year uh, if it lands eleven or above, if I remember correctly, it's the, it's the Lakers pick. Yeah, but if it's top ten, it goes to the Pelicans, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, so like they could lose another one in in this deal that he probably wouldn't have anticipated when he made the trade for uh, Valanciunas last year, where they got off Adams' contract. You know, Trey Murphy was their first round pick this year. He hasn't really played. I wouldn't kill them too much for that because weird stuff happens all the time. And Herb Jones has been a good pick. Um, but like, you know, the stuff he's done, it's just like, yeah, so you're ultimately what we're talking about here, three years in, given the the slate that he had to work with coming in, we're talking about a team that's they got the same record as the Knicks right now. And I would say that if I told you that three years ago, you would have said that's an absolute failure. So why should I not think he's a terrible GM? Just because he's done some good things and just because some things have worked in his benefit, um, it doesn't mean he's a good GM. I don't think he is a good GM. I mean, like the CJ McCollum trade, I think it's a good trade for them. But ultimately, that was a hole he created himself by trading Drew, and then he had to give out value to get CJ down the line. And CJ is worse than Drew? And I, I, I just, you know, maybe Drew asked out. I don't know. I think he probably would have maybe. But like, isn't that also part partly because of the lack of success that they that he was able to create as a GM of the team. You know, Zion, we'll see what happens with him, but I think it's safe to say at the very least he's not been thrilled with management throughout his time there, which is also a reflection on David Griffin. Um, we know Alvin Gentry does not particularly care for David Griffin after he was fired. Um, Willie Green looks like a good coach, so good for him, but he also hired Stan Van Gundy, who he had to fire after one season who was terrible for them. So I just think like he's done a lot of, he's done a lot. So there's, is some good stuff mixed in there, but overall it's hard to make an argument for him as a particularly good GM. Luck has a lot to do with it. And the next question being, why are you Kemba apologizing? Uh, which is a great name saying, given David Griffin's illustrious wealth of successful decisions he's made in new Orleans, were the few of the minor mistakes that he has made over the years that you would have done differently if you were hired instead of him to be the Pelicans GM. And I think exactly what you talked about, trading quality for quantity in terms of, like, again, even if you're not going to pick DeAndre Hunter, you have the fourth pick in the draft. And trading down and also taking other picks in that same year, I would have much rather preferred if I'm in that spot getting future assets and then trying to parlay that instead because what you wound up doing was like uh Nikhil Alexander Walker became essentially just salary filler that you hope is a secondary player off the bench um like I I don't really know what that gets I I I did really like uh, what he did with Josh Hart in that contract it was a very funky contract and he managed to like I mean Hart's gone now he's going to Portland so 
and like even that trade I actually thought was was quality. But the biggest thing to me is the how how it's been handled with Zion Williamson. And I understand that Zion is probably not coming out of this unscathed, but we've seen enough, I feel like, of David Griffin kind of snaking his way around where there's a reason why players might be hesitant towards trusting him. And it's that sort of mindset where it's like, well, he completely botched the Stan Van Gundy hiring. Like, Say what you will about Tibbs and the Knicks and everything. It worked. It worked for a time. With Van Gundy, it just didn't work off the bat. And it's kind of like that was his hiring. And he, he, then he had to fire him after what, one year? And it was kind of like, great, we have to, we have to essentially find a new coach and write the ship because if Willie Green didn't succeed, then Griffin was going to be out. And also consider the fact that their ownership is one of the cheapest in the NBA. They have not paid the luxury tax a single time. Uh, it's them and it's the Hornets who have not paid luxury tax once since like the year 2000. And that's like when the data goes back to. So I think that kind of that one year of wasting time, you know, of not trading Lonzo, I understand that they got something back in a sign and trade, but they got nothing of, back, but that's the thing, right? It was like so minuscule that it doesn't really like they got Garrett temple back in that trade, which is funny to me because if you look and see what some of the Pelicans fans have been tweeting, it's that they hate Garrett Temple with a fiery passion. And the fact that he has kept playing, or at least even before the deadline, was sinking their team. Like he was our punching bag, so to speak. Whatever, you know, whatever player you want. I wouldn't, I'd say maybe Kemba in that case. Yeah, he's probably their Kemba. And uh, like a well respected vet who clearly is a good leader, but just isn't able to play winning basketball in the role that he's in. So I guess it would be hiring Van Gundy. It just seemed like such a weird direction to go in compared to what he wanted to get done. And Willie Green's success highlights exactly why that was the wrong pick. Well, it was like a win now. It was it was just really stupid because his entire thing was like, we're not just trying to rebuild. We want to win now. And I understand that mindset because like, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Zion didn't want to be there. I, I know like there's weird people who will like disagree with that for some reason, but I think it's safe to say he didn't want to be there. So probably part of his thinking was like, hey, look, he doesn't want to be here, but if we start winning games, he will. He will want to be here because we have like Brandon Ingram who is going to become this all-star. We have these assets that we can use. Um, you know, I understand that. Uh, but like he failed at that part of it, right? The first few years were objectively terrible um i don't think there's any real argument for it. you can say that some stuff was out of his control with zion's injury and stuff like that um but you know like that's the job man and he didn't do a good job the first two years um like if we're gonna sit here and shit on leon rose um look like i think he deserves criticism for how this year's turned out and we can sit here and say tibbs is you know, Tibbs has ruined it and he didn't maximize what the front office has given him. And I would agree with that, but like they hired Tibbs and they have allowed him to get away with this stuff. So they do deserve criticism for that. Um, but like, I would say they took over a much more barren situation than the Pelicans. And 
let's be honest here. The Knicks have already had more success under Leon Rose than the Pelicans have had under David Griffin. Um, we can now, in hindsight, be like, well, it was stupid. The fourth seed was dumb. We Fool's gold, blah, 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 blah. But like, it happened. Um, and currently, again, one team had expectations coming into the season. The other one was like, hopefully we can get into the play on, play in, uh, and Zion will be happy. So, you know, take that for what it is, I guess. Yeah, like the comparison between the Pelicans and the Knicks when Griffin took over versus when Leon Rose took over, it's night and day. Because, I mean, one guy had Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and basically walked into the first overall pick with the best prospect that we've seen since LeBron, maybe Kevin Durant. And I mean, actually, it'd probably have to be LeBron, right? Because I mean, even Kevin Durant didn't go first overall. So, uh, although Odin in college was pretty great. Regardless, like you have that versus Leon Rose, who has what? Maybe it's Julius Randle off of a bad season, RJ Barrett, a rough rookie year in which that previous head coach had said to adjust his shooting form, which just screwed up so much. Um, getting falling in the lottery. It's it to me. It's no question. So yeah, he's got a lot of luck on his side. He being David Griffin, and and, 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 and I, I did really like the CJ trade for them. But that to me was like, if I don't make this trade, I'm probably going to lose my job. He had to make that trade. The Pelicans needed to, but if anything, that was more of like we should do this versus Griffin having to do this because if they don't make the play in, I think that he's out of a job. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely part of it. I mean, the other thing too is like the CJ trade was good for them. I, I actually I, I've talked about this before. Like, I think CJ is an interesting veteran because he's never really had the opportunity to play primary over an extended stretch and had kind of the team built around him, quote unquote, as people like to say. Um, so I think he's like has potentially hidden upside even as an older player. But you know that's a move that like they made exactly for the reasons you expressed. And then on top of that, um, like it's also a move you have to make because Zion's not there. And if Zion's there, I don't think you have to trade for McCullough because I think Zion is good enough that like they probably would have been firmly in the play on play in picture at that point. And is all of that down to Griffin? Like, no, I don't think so because I think Zion it is like Zion should be more of a professional. Let's just be completely honest about it. Like how he's handled it. He's just been a big fucking baby. And I mean that literally and figuratively, um, but he's just been a huge baby about it. And you know, does it suck that you have to work somewhere that maybe you don't want to be sure. Yeah. Does it suck that maybe the organization was a mess behind closed doors? Sure. I, I all of that can suck. Um, but like you were the first overall pick you took the contract and yeah, like you don't get to pick where you live, but you do get to play NBA Paul. You get to choose that. That's an active choice you're making. If you don't want to play, you don't have to. You can go to Europe. You can do whatever the hell you want. You know, he signed a Nike contract. He could retire and he'd be set for life. You know, like he signed the contract. That's his expectation. You have to play that, you know? And if he's not, if he's just going to act like a baby about it, that's on him. But it's also on a GM to create an environment that 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 is more conducive to that player not wanting to be a big baby and trying to force his way out or do whatever the hell he's doing right now. Um, you know, this is a criticism that was levied at the Knicks before when they with the entire Porzingis thing. And I think it's safe to say that 
Porzingis was quite the drama queen uh, behind the scenes, and even from what we read publicly, obviously, I think it's safe to say that some things might have been similar in Dallas with him, um, and that's the reason why he's not there anymore. So, you know, they got criticism for that, but ultimately, like, you have to make decisions then, and, and you have to make the best of whatever you're dealt with, and let's and the situation he got handed was a pretty fucking good situation. A lot of, a lot. I would have loved if the Knicks got the number one pick and they had a resident superstar on the team that could they could flip for a bunch of young players with upside and potential. I loved Brendan Ingram at that time. I thought he was going to be a future All Star, which he looks like he's morphing into, especially this season. Um, Lonzo Ball was a player I liked not as much as others, but like that was a nice little haul they got. They got a bunch of picks. They stayed cap flexible at that time, like. He messed that up. He didn't maximize the potential of all of that. And the Lonzo thing was part of that too. You know, like what was his plan for Lonzo? And if he didn't if he never really wanted to keep him, why didn't they trade him earlier? Because it's very hard to believe that they maximized his asset value in any way um, in that deal. I mean, we're talking about an offseason where the Bulls themselves ended up getting a first round pick for Lori Marketing. Um, you know, you couldn't get a similar return for Lonzo Ball at some point. I find that very, very hard to believe. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just think he's messed up a lot. I think he's been very, very fortunate in, in Cleveland for sure. And, um, less so in new Orleans, but still plenty lucky, more lucky than most GMs get. So, you know, he'll probably win the fucking lottery this year. Both of their picks will probably move up to like one and two and we'll be sitting here, but like, look, let's the, here's the other thing. The main thing for me is he should get killed for passing on Garland. He should get fucking killed for that. That should be like every single day that should be mentioned because that is insane. Like it's not insane in terms of the decision at the time, but like since when do teams get only evaluated on the decision at the time? Because we've been hearing about how, Oh, the Knicks, Knicks must be Knicks fans must be so sad that they passed on Darius Garland for RJ Barrett. Well, guess what? RJ Barrett's pretty damn good. I don't, you can tell me Garland's better. That's fine. I don't really care. I don't want to debate that. But RJ Barrett's pretty damn good in his own right. And he's sure he's sure as shit better than Jackson fucking Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and whoever the fuck they took at the 35th pick, which is probably like that Didi Luzada guy or whatever the fuck. Um, like, and, and we have to hear that. So they sure as shit can hear about trading out from four to get a bunch of fucking bums um, instead of Darius Garland. It, yeah, it's just a lack of accountability. It's sort of like there's so many there's so many parties with vested interests that instead of just being like, "Hey, we were wrong about this," they just kind of ignore it. Like they have their reaction at the time, and if it's a success, then they'll toot their horn, and if it's a failure, then they just kind of sweep it under the rug. And I just don't understand why we continuously year after year just like view it as okay this is like this is the winner now this is like like when you and i have talked about this where there was some account a mavs account that was talking about spencer dinwiddie and i saw something where it was like do knicks fans still think that they won the kp trade and it's because the mavs have a great record and the knicks obviously do not and we were just thinking like, how is it that that impacts the record? Like Luka Doncic had nothing to do with the KP trade in the sense of, you know, like 
the Knicks didn't give up Luka Doncic. The Mavs already had him, and they tried to build around him, and they failed by doing that with Kristaps Porzingis. How do I know they failed? Because they traded Kristaps Porzingis when Cuban consistently was like, we're not trading him, we're keeping him, he's our guy, and, and whatever. And it's great for them that Dinwiddie and Bertans are working out. But it's also just like how you can think about it, like, well, like this idea that we won the trade. Well, maybe, but also I know that there's a pick that hasn't even conveyed yet. And I know that the Knicks haven't even done anything to, you know, move some of these assets as well. Like they traded one of them for Derrick Rose and he did a pretty damn good job of getting the Knicks into the playoffs last year. And he's unfortunately been hurt this year. And just to kind of transition that to the draft where, you know, like Zion's this elite prospect and RJ struggles out of the gate. And it's like, well, RJ sucks. And then Zion goes down. Ja has a superstar season. And it's like, why? Well, you know, like it doesn't even feel like the Pelicans are at fault for passing on Ja. It's, I can't believe the Knicks didn't lose more games to get Ja when they lost the most games in the NBA that year. And the lottery could have bumped them down all the way to fifth. And yet it did not. It got them to third and it got them RJ Barrett. And I just can't stand the mindset that maybe maybe they should have won more so that we could have gotten Darius Garland maybe although to be honest I mean if you're winning games are you like (laughs) isn't that completely the opposite of what you want so well unless you got anything else to say I think we've probably done this topic of justice yeah I think it's good we did a good shit on David Griffin topic I love it ZMP three two three Johnny Bryant stand Johnny Bryant season says what are your thoughts on Cam Reddish so far now that he's gotten some more playing time how do you review how do your views now compare to when he was in Atlanta I think you highlighted right he's taken a lot fewer mid range shots yes yep a lot more a lot less sorry so cleaning that up certainly helps and that just again I was fine with it because I know people have kind of floated the Kelly Oubre comp I don't. It doesn't feel that similar to me, but I get it in the sense of like, hey, if you can get a productive rotation piece for a pick, that's probably going to be like... Well, Kelly Oubre is not a productive rotation piece. Right, but I'm saying like, but Kelly Oubre was at the age of what, 24 salary matching for Chris Paul? Like that's the mindset that I have that I know maybe others don't focus quite as much on, which is fine. I I a crazy person when it comes to that. And this is a <laughs> it's much more natural to be like, how is Cam Reddish's play in the moment? And I think that it's certainly been better. It's it'd be nice if we saw him to finish the game in Phoenix, for example. That I mean, I, I'll say this. I, I've I've definitely seen enough that I feel like I I get it. I understand the vision. I I you know, I I mean I've I've understood the vision kind of since they made the trade um big wing kind of a, like a very fluid easy on the eye athlete um can shoot the three gets to the rim at not at will i would say but he gets there with some ease and some of it is just about finishing and can you clean up his shot selection and can you make him a better defender i understand the vision um but my concern was like his issues in atlanta were at least what was reported uh, was that he was unhappy with his role. He was unhappy with playing time. The more I've seen of him in New York, I feel like that probably was not, or if that was his issue, it was not communicated properly. Um, like, was he annoyed about his role and how he was being used? Yes. 
do I think it was specifically about like not being a high usage on ball shot creator? I'm not sure. Um, it feels like maybe he just didn't enjoy being stuck in the corner watching Trey Young do his thing. Um, and that's I'm like I'm not even really knocking the Hawks for that because it's just Trey Young is whatever he's averaging, you know. Like I I understand why you would lean into that, but that's not necessarily convenient for everybody. He also got a little bit lost in the mix. He's had injury issues too throughout his career. I mean, this injury that he just has now, this shoulder sprain or whatever, that's like a total total fluke thing, you know. Like there's you can't control that, but um, he's had injury issues throughout his career. So I think he ended up falling behind in the pecking order behind guys like uh, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter. Obviously they went out and signed Bogdanovich. They signed Gallinari. So that just cut into his playing time. And I think he wanted out because he saw like, I'm just not really going to get a chance here to, to get the minutes that I think I deserve. And obviously New York hasn't worked out for him the best in that sense either. But I do think it helps that, you know, he's got buddies on this team. You know, he's, known RJ Barrett, obviously going back to their time at Duke. Um, I think him quickly and Grimes all played in the same McDonald's game uh, with RJ. Um, so like, I don't know if they're super friends or anything, but they're peers in a way. Um, and I just think, um, you know, I, I, I think there's definitely interesting signs from him that I don't, I would say that some of my impression of what his issues were have been dispelled by what he's shown on the court and how he's carried himself in New York. Um, I will say that the defense stuff where he's just kind of all over the place off the ball. Um, that's very real. That needs to be cleaned up because when he is screwed in, like when he was screwed in in the fourth quarter against the Clippers at like with the rest of that group, um, I mean, he's a problem. He's huge. He's got great wingspan. He plays the passing lanes. Well, like he it can be very, very disruptive, but he's just got to be, locked in and um you know i guess my thoughts on him so far are i think he's probably closer to being a solid rotation player than i initially anticipated but i also still don't anticipate him becoming some like paul george 2.0 star or whatever i i don't see that at all and that's fine yeah that's not a big deal to me yeah (laughs) that we didn't give up a, a package to for that to be the standard. No. Um, all right. I think that was a very fair answer. I don't really have much to add there, but Mikey underscore cooks seven says, who has a more slappable face? Paolo Banquero or Grayson Allen? Mikey, it's gotta be Grayson, right? Uh, I think it I- is. It's, it is Grayson. It's obviously Grayson, uh, who is in a long line of assholes from Duke, such as, you know, Christian Leitner, obviously the OG, um, Greg Paulus, Josh McRoberts, Grayson Allen is is the next in line. JJ Redick was one, but JJ mm-hmm. Redick uh, had a hell of a redemption arc in the NBA. So shout out to JJ Redick for that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely Grayson Allen. But I will, and, and especially because he looks like Ted Cruz. So it's like you know, come on. Of course, who doesn't want to slap Ted Cruz, right? Um, but Paolo Banchero. Uh, I don't really want to slap him, but he does something about his face makes me not want to draft him. I will say that. That's fair. Yeah, I could see it. Maybe it's also, I know they're not exactly the same, but something about having the Randall experience and then having Boncaro be on the board if the Knicks wanted to go there. It's like with the slappable face mindset. I don't know. I don't know. I'd rather just go Jaden Ivey at that point. 
Yeah, no uh, problem with me. Yeah, yeah. Cat massage. If RJ could only work on one skill this offseason and become significantly better at it, what would you choose? A few examples are, but not limited to, his handle, pull-up shooting, touch around the rim, free throws, etc. To me, it's... I feel like it's touch around the rim. I think that will just... If you're able to increase his efficiency, it very much neuters the biggest argument against RJ, which I still think is not ridiculous, but not the most valid. Like if you're leaving points on the board with the free throws, that sucks. And that is something he does obviously have to work on. But I just feel like there's this mindset with a lot of scorers where they're empty points and that's not who RJ is. And by fixing the efficiency, which stems from a lot of finishing at the rim, that will change the conversation quite a bit. So that's my hope. Um, yeah, I'm going to be very boring. I think it's free throw shooting. Um, I think it makes a huge impact. If he shot 75% from the line for this year, I'm pretty sure I think his true shooting would be over 54% for the year. Um, that's, and that's including that horrific shooting stretch he had earlier in the season as well. Um, I I think that's like just huge because the other thing too, is I wonder sometimes like, I don't think this affects him early in the game, but I do wonder sometimes later, later in games, um, if maybe he's a little reticent to, to go as aggressively to the rim and take contact just because he's not the best free throw shooter. Um, obviously he's had a nice little stretch lately though. Got to say that, um, he's at. 70% 70% from the line now uh, for the season, 70.5% basically, 69% for his career. Very nice. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, I think that's the big one. And uh, I mean, I guess in some ways, uh, the other one for me is just general, like, uh, I would say general ball handling with his weak hand. Um, you know, I think it does get overdone that like, oh, he's so left-hand dominant because you know, who the hell says that about righties? It never gets said. Um, but I do think with him, it's just like a matter of if he can be more comfortable initiating sets going to his right, uh, I have no idea really what you do with them at that point. Because as it is, when he's going, when he has any type of head of steam going to his left, he's basically unstoppable going to the rim. If he gets that going to the right also, then I don't even know how you defend him um, other than playing drop and hoping he can't get to the rim, you know? Um, so I, I those are probably the two key areas for me that I would hone in on more than anything. Cool. Uh, Jax365, once again, name your top three hated NBA media personalities. Hmm. I don't know if I can list them one through three. Maybe you can. But I think Reggie Miller, I'm going to say Frank Isola counts because he's on the Yes post-game broadcast. And uh, maybe RJ, Richard Jefferson. But like, I, I don't like Richard Jefferson, but I like how he calls games. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I get it, but I just hate him. So I just really so, try to never watch him. Yeah, that's my three. I'm going to stick with it. What about you? Whew, this is tough. Um, there's a lot of people I hate. Uh, I would say I'm just gonna try to avoid like Knicks-related uh, people. So like I don't like we're not gonna do Bondi or 
Beck or Isola because we all know we all hate those guys anyway. Um, so I would say one is definitely Stephen A. Smith. Um, I hate that he pretends to be a Knicks fan and because he pretends to be a Knicks fan and is super loud and obnoxious about it, that like drives discourse about the team as if anything he says makes any sense. And it's also very obvious anytime he talks about the team that he doesn't watch them. So that would be one. Not and This is not in any particular order, by the way. Uh, two would be Jay Williams, who mm-hmm. could not be more obviously in the pocket of what is Kevin Durant's thing? 35 ventures, right? Is that it? Yeah. Um, yeah like it's just, so blatantly obvious with him that uh, it, I have no idea how the hell that's even possible. Like, I know it's possible. I just think it's ridiculous that that's occurring um, at a major media website or major media source uh, like ESPN. Uh, and uh, my third one would probably be, hmm. let's see. What would my third one be? Hmm. This is tough. Because, you know, you got one more spot. Uh, I guess I will say Wally Zerbiak. No. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to do that thing that fans do for basketball players, at least current ones, where they talk about his family. That man has a family, all right? <laughs> Rebecca Harlow just welcomed a child into this world. Uh, actually, you know what? I, I will say, um, what's his name? Fuck, I can't think of it right now. This is really pissing me off. Shit. Give me a hint. Maybe I can help. Uh, it's it's the um, the Boston guy, the uh, Scalabrini. There you go. Oh, okay. Scalabrini. Yeah, I just the, the the Celtics broadcasts are just absurd to listen to, and it's just like, you know, they'll be like reviewing a play. And it's like obviously a foul, and he'll just be like, "Oh, you can't call that there. You can't do that." Like Tatum is just going up with it. And I'm like, "Yeah, well, yeah, he is. He also is like elbowing a guy in the face, so I think you can call that probably." Um, yeah, th- those would be three. Shout out Austin Carr on the Cavs broadcast it was terrible. Um, he's really, really bad. Yeah, those those are three, and I gave you a fourth one too, just for the hell of it. If I'm going to swap out Isola based on the rules, I think I'm going to put Jordan Schultz instead. <laughs> he's pretty bad yeah it's it's coffee money like what he did with that whole sarver story where he just took it and ran with it wasn't even his story and he just you know little fingered his way to getting the report and oh, god um <laughs> there are two more questions it seems that Jax has uh if hbo did a nick's tv show which time period would you like to see um i guess maybe in the vein of the new lakers show i'd probably want to see a young Clyde Willis Reed. That feels like the most exciting because it, it'd be cool to see very much of what the nineties Knicks are. But as I'm reading through blood in the garden, it's so well written that I can almost visualize it as it is. So maybe something just about studio 54 Clyde uh, Reed, like all these guys, I, I think that would be the coolest time period. Uh, that would be very fun, and I would love a show like that. But my answer is going to be very simply the entire decade, um, or not the entire decade, but everything after they traded Patrick Ewing to, to like, right 
when they finished 2010 free agency and signed Amari Stoudemire. Actually, to the mellow trade. Let's just do the oh, mellow so you're trade. a masochist. Yeah, that would okay. be awesome to see that because so many ridiculous, absurd things happened to the franchise during that time that actually making a show about it um, would be kind of fun. I would enjoy that. I know there was a podcast about it, which I thought was really weird that came out last year on The Athletic about all of that stuff. But like, I think a show would do would be very, very interesting given all of the happenings that occurred with the team during that time. And then the final question is, if the Knicks win the lottery, like the NBA would let it happen again, and we draft Smith, Holmgren, or Bancaro, should we trade Randall? Answer the question if Tibbs is and is not the head coach next season. Okay, so let's, because he's currently employed, let's assume that Tibbs is the head coach next year, and the Knicks get one of those three options. Um, my, my guess is because they're not really going to listen to his input anyway, it'd probably be Chet just because of the ability. He's he's done so well at the college level, and I know his frame is obviously a huge concern, and I am not the biggest draft pundit. There are far better people who are able to be in the draft, and I'm just like, cool, or great, that sucks. But in terms of how good he's been at that level and how you can theorize him a little bit more versatility as well and how he still is that like he's what isn't he more of a four than a five though chet yeah i think he's a four right now because he can't he weighs like 185 pounds or something but like uh long term i think you'd want to be you'd want to be a five yeah but like seeing it's funny because we always i say we but like and I think you shared this too. There was this thought process a while ago where it was, oh, pairing Randall and KP would be a lot of fun. They complement each other really nicely. And I don't think that's quite held up, even if it were to work out. But having Chet in that role, theoretically, it would make a lot of sense with the versatility. You get Obi in there, you get some switching and whatnot. But in terms of Randall, I would actually consider keeping him, which is crazy to me. Because again, I still think that it goes back and forth so often that the best thing is probably just to get a clean break. And yet part of me is still like, look at the Kings game. Look at what you can get when you have Randall, RJ and IQ playing together. You don't have to trade Randall. You trade Randall. If a better option comes along, like one of the players that we have mentioned earlier, uh, that obviously being Larry Nance jr. So the point here is like, what do you do with it? And um, if Tibbs is not here, I still think you can lean into keeping Randall, but I'd prefer to. I'd, I'd still prefer to not have him here. Um, if the Knicks win the lottery, I'm trying to understand. Like, if okay, I was. I'm just going to answer this in the ways I think it should be answered. One, if the Knicks drafted, if Tibbs is the coach and they draft Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren, then keep Randall. If they tr- if they draft Bonchero. Is it Bonchero or Bonchero? I don't know. Whatever. I thought it was Bonchero, but I believe it's Bonchero. Okay. Bonchero. Um, then you have to trade him regardless of who the coach is. If Tibbs isn't the coach and you draft Smith or Holmgren, then maybe you should probably trade Randall in that scenario because theoretically those guys would play the four. Uh, I think Jabari is probably a year or two away from being physically kind of comfortable doing that all the time. Um, 
But like that's kind of the vision you'd be building towards, and obviously you might still have Obi in that scenario to play the four, so like you'd be okay for a while. Um, Holmgren, Chet, he's going to play the four right off the bat, I think, and maybe he'll scale down to the five eventually. But either way, um, I think you would have to trade Randall in those scenarios if Rand- if Tibbs is not the coach. I think that's fair. Uh, next, we actually have an advertisement. So college basketball fans, speaking of college, of course, uh, college basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. You can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer your question, answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. And if you know, if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Uh, it's available in a variety of states. Um, there are also, I guess I should say, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire. 888-789-777 slash visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 877-8-HOPE-NY, text HOPE-NY to New York, visit opgr.org for Oregon, call text uh, TN-REDLINE in Tennessee, or 888-532-3500 in Virginia. If any of those states apply to where you live, that's available. Must be 21 plus or 18 plus in New Hampshire, Wyoming, physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. A minimum of $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions do apply. And check out DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Schwinn, are you excited for March Madness? I'm pumped. Very, very thrilled, even though Michigan might not be playing. Well, it's a shame they couldn't keep Franz to stay another year, but I I don't blame him for going. Uh, Front page, Jeff. If Tibbs is fired at the end of the season outside of Johnny Bryant, who are some other coaching candidates you would like to see the front office go after? If Tibbs is not fired at the end of the season, who are some offensive coach slash coordinator candidates you would like to see the front office go after? I'll let you take this away. Um, I actually haven't really thought about this too deeply, mostly because I do think that Johnny Bryant will be the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say a few names that I would be interested in. Um, you know, I, I think somebody like Will Hardy, uh, in Boston, in yep. he'd be, he'd be one Phil Handy, uh, in LA would be another, I'm not actually sure if Phil Handy's really particularly qualified to be a head coach. Like I don't, for his entire background to my point, uh, has been development related, but like he's on the coaching staff. So I'm assuming he would have had, you know, input on strategy and stuff like that. Um, I also think it's worth noting that 
for all of um you know for all of Frank Vogel's inadequacies this year uh Jason Kidd seemed to have taken a lot from his time uh working with him and he's been a lot better with Dallas this season than he was previously in Milwaukee so that's something to consider um uh I would also look at um you know I'd be interested at least to talk to somebody like Sam Cassell um, who spent a lot of time now with Doc Rivers in a lot of places. Uh, I, I, I'm not the biggest Kenny Atkinson fan, but I will say this. I think it's impressive that he has been willing to kind of humble himself and go back to being an assistant on somebody else's staff. And I think that can really bode well for a retread coach, um, exposing yourself to a different culture, um, how the way other coaches do things. Um, I think that's definitely something that works in his favor. Uh, I would also, you know, I would I would just try to generally look at staffs that have performed well um, over the last few years. So Phoenix would be one. I'm not sure who's on their staff, but I think they're probably a team to look at given how flexible Monty Williams is um, in game. I imagine that there are people on his staff encouraging him to be that way. Um I would also take a look at a team like Memphis, who has had success, obviously, competing while also playing a lot of young guys. Um, so those would be some names just off the top of my head. I think those are solid names. The Knicks, of course, did do this. Oh, Darvin Ham would probably mm-hmm. be another one um, in Milwaukee. I know he had something off the court with his like wife or something, but I don't know if that got resolved or something. I, I, I just remember seeing something had popped up a while back so if that's still a thing i would obviously prefer not to go down that route but like if not uh yeah he would be somebody definitely to take a look at